0: Thanks, Rick. Good morning. My name is uh, Mike and we're going to be looking at that line in the Apostles' Creed this morning which says, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church and the communion of saints. So a special welcome to you if you're just joining us. Uh, We have been preaching through some of the different lines and aspects of the Apostles' Creed. And, uh, you know, theological preaching is always hard to do by sticking with one passage, so I'm just going to flag with you right now, I've, I've kind of just kept it to three. Three was about as best I could do, with a few little kind of day trips here and there into other parts of the Bible, but we're going to do a little bit in Acts 2, just as a heads up, and then a bit here in Ephesians 2, and then 1 Corinthians 12, they're going to be the, the key kind of ones, and uh, I'll drop a few kind of references here and there, but um, which maybe you can spot in the wild as we go through. Let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that you are a good and gracious God who speaks and who speaks to us by your word. Father, we thank you that you are the word who became flesh in the Lord Jesus, something that we particularly celebrate and remember at this time of year. And Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus, who is now ascended and seated at your right hand, is still ruling and reigning in this earth through his word by your Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we pray today as we think about the Spirit and the Church that we would be able to see how your Holy Spirit both unifies and diversifies believers in Christ as your family. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what would you conclude about the work of the Holy Spirit amongst God's people if we just looked at the people sitting in our pews in our churches? You know, on the surface of it, what would you conclude about the work of the Holy Spirit? Now, perhaps our most generous reading would recognise that the Spirit has made this group of people joyful, joyful in our singing, joyful in speech, joyful uh, in our service of each other, even though many have and are facing hard and tragic circumstances. Uh, Perhaps our most generous reading would recognise that the Holy Spirit has brought this group of very unlikely and disparate people together like a family, you know, even though many of us have very little common ground. Uh, Perhaps our most generous reading of the church would recognise that the Spirit has made this group of people servant hearted. And altruistic with their time and with their goods. You know, willing to sacrifice their independent existence for the sake of community. Uh, even though we cherish our freedom greatly and there is very little time or goods to give. Uh, perhaps our most generous reading of the church would recognise that God's Spirit has made this group of people here humble in confessing their sin and authentic in their repentance, that this is a community of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. That could be our most generous reading of what the church looks like on the surface of it and what the Holy Spirit is doing amongst the community of the saints. Or perhaps a more cynical reading would conclude that, you know, on the surface of it, the Holy Spirit is doing very little to transform the lives of God's people. And that the Spirit hasn't yet overcome the the self-interest that thwarts our generosity of our time and our money. That the Spirit hasn't yet conquered the fears that choke our willingness to volunteer and to serve. That the Spirit of God hasn't yet opened us up to others in a way that breaks apart our socially comfortable cliques or our social reluctance. Perhaps you might critically think that the Holy Spirit hasn't yet destroyed the masks that constrain our ability to be authentic with each other and to admit our faults. Perhaps a more cynical reading of a Christian church might conclude that, you know, on the surface of it, hypothetically, of course, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is barely noticeable if it is there at all. So how do we see the work of the Spirit in the Holy Universal Church. And what does the Holy Spirit do for the communion of saints as we confess in the Apostles' Creed? I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church and the communion of saints. Now, really, I think what we're asking here this morning is how is the Spirit perfecting believers in Christ to be His church? And we're going to look at just two ways that the Spirit works in the church to perfect those who believe in Christ. Here's the first. These will be our two points. Um, The Spirit unifies believers in Christ as children of the Father. And secondly, the Spirit diversifies believers in the body of Christ for the common good. And so let's look firstly at the unity of the Spirit. Now last week we began to look at what it means to confess that I believe in the Holy Spirit and in summary to confess we believe in the Holy Spirit means that we believe God's Spirit is the origin of all life without exception, that we are not the source of our life or our talents or even our successes. Now this is the general work of the Spirit in preserving life. But we also believe in the very particular work of the Spirit to perfect life in Jesus. So when we confess to believe in the Holy Spirit, we also mean that we believe in salvation from life in the realm of the flesh, that we have been rescued from slavery to sin, from God's just condemnation and from death through faith in Jesus. And now we have been given life in the realm of the Spirit. That's where we live life now. So even though we live in fleshly bodies, we no longer live according to the flesh, hostile to God and living for our own glory, but we now live according to the spirit of life and peace. And so to confess we believe in the Holy Spirit means that we believe the Holy Spirit is working. The Holy Spirit is perfecting us, just as the Spirit perfected Jesus to be the obedient son of the Father. The Spirit shapes our desires so that we now want what the Father wants. And primarily this means that the Spirit makes us children of the Father with Jesus the Son. That is the great perfecting work of the Holy Spirit in the Church. The Spirit enables us to pray with Jesus, our Father, Abba Father. Not as I will, but as you will. And you see, this is the unifying work of the Spirit, to bring people from every house and tribe and tongue and nation into the family of God as real and genuine brothers and sisters of Jesus. This is what was promised in the beginning of John's Gospel in chapter 1, verse 12. To all who did receive Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God and after the death and resurrection and the ascension of the son God does this by pouring out his spirit to all who repent and who believe in the name of his son this is what we see in the beginning of Acts so this is Luke's second volume to the gospel of Luke after Jesus ascends into heaven the spirit is poured out on his disciples And full of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Peter proclaims this to the astounded crowd. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and He has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this from Peter, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promised Holy Spirit. Can you see here the perfecting work of the Spirit? It's uniting people to each other and to God himself as they confess their faith in Jesus as Lord. In fact, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 12, no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Because to say Jesus is Lord is to say that we are not Lord, you are not Lord, that we don't rule. We are not our own saviours. We are not uh, the ones who direct our future. We do not fulfil our own dreams. We do not shape life after our own vision of what life is. But to say Jesus is Lord means we depend entirely on Jesus the Christ who graciously gives us life eternal in our powerlessness before death. Now that might seem like the most unstra- unextraordinarily uh, that might seem like the most unextraordinary thing to say right that the spirit's perfecting work in first creating the church, that the family of God is simply on the basis of your faith in Jesus, that you can call him your Lord, and, and that the spirit sanctifies you to be a child of God and call on him uh, call him father, does that even sound extraordinary to you? But this is what the Spirit does. And maybe because you've heard the Lord's Prayer so many times, you just seem to take it for granted that we can call uh, God our Father and have that familial and privileged access to Him. You know, the God who created the heavens and the earth and actually call Him really your Father. Or, Or maybe you've heard that Jesus is Lord so many times that you've just forgotten the comprehensive depth of that claim on your life. But it is extraordinary to call Jesus Lord and to pray to God as our Father because that profoundly shapes who you are. You are no longer defined by your nationality or your interests or your abilities or your achievements or your possessions or your gender or your age or your sexual orientation. No, your identity is as a precious child of God the Father. Your character is shaped by desiring His will and not your own. Your existence is defined by life in Him and not death apart from Him. And your security in life is with and in the Lord Jesus by faith. See, this is so astounding and radically redefining of who we are that Paul says here in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 that now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that he himself has created in himself one new humanity out of both Jew and Gentile, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them, both of us, to God through the cross, by which he put to death our hostility. See, Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Now, what a Trinitarian statement that is. That through the obedience of Jesus as the perfect Son, we are brought near to God the Father and then given unrestricted access to the Father with Jesus the Son by the one Holy Spirit. We are included in Christ as sons and daughters of the Father, so that you are no longer a Jew or a Gentile, working class or middle class, professional or unskilled labour, millennial, zennial, gen X, Y, Z or boomer. Your identity is bound up in being a child of the Father, As the Spirit makes you a new human with the same disposition, desires and aspirations as the eternal Son. As the Spirit builds you into a new family. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling, here a dwelling, in which God lives by his Spirit. This is what it means to confess we believe in the holy universal church. And you know the older version of the creed says the holy Catholic church but of course our modern version says universal in order to uh, avoid confusion with the capital C Roman Catholic church. But, but either way by confessing to believe in the holy Catholic slash universal church we mean that we stand with all other Christian churches that confess the truths of the of the Apostles creed. In fact, confessing the creed together is one of the ways that we are Catholic. It's one of the ways that we are universal. And I think you should also, therefore, be reluctant about ever joining a church that can't or won't confess the ancient creeds of the church. Because being Catholic means that we're not a sectarian cult or or a novel mutation from Orthodox Christian faith. And that doesn't mean that we're all the same. The spirit doesn't make every one of us this kind of cookie-cutter, production-line Christian. No. Some Christians meet in you know, grand, old buildings with leaky roofs. Some in community halls. Some meet in houses. Some sing a cappella. Some with a 12-piece rock band. Others just an organ. Some have an array of diverse nationalities. Some are more homogenised and, and pasteurised. We aren't all uniform. But we do have real and genuine unity by the one Holy Spirit. And I wonder if you realise again how extraordinary that this is, especially given how difficult it is for anyone to give up their life in order to depend on life in Jesus. And how striking it is to see people yearning in hope for what the Father desires... And how confronting it is to hear people genuinely confess their sins and see them eager to repent. And how remarkable it is in an ever more sectarian world to see such a diversity of people gathered together as one true and genuine new family in Christ. And yet this is what our new identity in Christ looks like as we live in the realm of the Spirit. The Spirit unites us with Jesus as children of the Father to be the family of God. And isn't this what we see as we look around at the communion of saints? You know, people who are wrestling with their sin, people who have nothing left to depend on but the grace of the Lord Jesus, people who have oh so many failures and oh so many imperfections, and yet desire the will of the father above all things don't we see people who are led by the spirit the holy spirit to be dissatisfied with the world that they live in and to wait in hope to labor in love and to serve in faith together with their new brothers and sisters in christ don't we see people who are motherless or childless or, or fatherless but who have a multitude of real siblings and parents and children and aunties and uncles. I knew I would choke up there. (laughs) Because it's true. And maybe actually, here's a good moment to pause while I get a drink of water. And consider what you see. What do you see here? What do you see the Holy Spirit doing here in the communion of saints? Because if this isn't what we see, then as followers of Christ, as children of the Father, as those who live in the realm of the Spirit, shouldn't we work all the more to do these things? And to genuinely be these people as we hope in the promises of God to be fulfilled. As we gather together genuinely as the family of God. Because the church, admittedly in all its weakness, is the testimony of the gospel to the world. This here, this morning, is a testimony of the good life of the good news to the world. That's what the Spirit is doing in the Holy Universal Church. The Holy Spirit is unifying us as a family of believers in Christ. But the Spirit is also equipping the church to bear witness to the gospel that has saved you in Christ. And the Spirit equips us by diversifying each one of us in the body of Christ. And so here we are at the second and last point, the diversity of the spirit. Now, it should already be apparent to you that even though we are one church, not every member of this church looks the same or behaves the same. Uh, We have unity as one church, but we don't have uniformity. In fact, the Apostle Paul likens the gathering of God's people to a human body. And so here we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12 Paul says just as a body though one has many parts but all its parts form one body so it is with Christ for we were all baptized by one spirit as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles slave or free and we were all given the one spirit to drink even so the body is not made up of one part but of Many. And it's not a mistake or an unfortunate disability for the church that it has many and varied and different parts and people. As if every Christian should just be a carbon copy of the person sitting right next to them. No, it's not a setback for the body of Christ that every member is different. That's actually the intention of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Paul says, chapter 12, verse 4, just a bit earlier on, he says there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. Uh, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. And to each one, each one of you, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. In all its diversity. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the Spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. And all of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And he distributes this variety of gifts to each one just as he determines. You see, whether great or small, the Spirit equips everyone who believes in Christ to be a treasured part of God's church. You know, the forces of globalisation might be slowly making everyone the same in our tastes, in what we watch, in what we care about, but the Spirit deliberately makes each one of us particular, individual and diverse, so that the body of Christ might function to the glory of the Father. So we strive to see how every member is a valued part of the body, to see how the Spirit has sanctified each person in the body to be indispensable, in fact. Especially those parts of the body that seem weak or less honourable or more difficult to place in the body. I don't know what we do with toddlers sometimes or the infirm and frail, or the overachiever, or the anxious, or the socially awkward, and I should add, the socially overconfident. What do you do with all these different people as they come together, this this motley crew, this hodgepodge of misfits? Well, we strive to see how every member is a valued part of the body because the communion of saints is talking about everyone, all, who belong to God's family by believing in Christ, made diverse by the Holy Spirit. It's for all those who are saved by grace. It is for all those who are led by the Spirit to joyfully trust and proclaim that Jesus is Lord. You see, the Spirit has made us diverse and local and temporal creatures. And because of this, God gathers His family, whoever they are, from different generations and nationalities and social spheres. And because we are finite creatures and we're bound by time and location, God gathers his family wherever they are, at different times and from different places. But as spread out and diverse as we are, each gathering of God's people is nothing less than God's church And each church is the complete body of Christ, whether there is three or three thousand. Now, each church may not represent the fullness of God's family. I, I don't think we have every nationality and demographic represented here, for example. But each church represents the complete universality of believers in union with Christ now and across time. See, in this way, each local church is an anticipation of the full family of God to be gathered in the last day from every tribe and people and language and nation. See, the Spirit of God at work amongst us unifies us in Christ, makes us the holy Catholic Church and the Spirit also makes us diverse and particular. So we genuinely are The communion of saints and not a homogeny of saints. And this means that your spiritual gift, whatever it is, for the common good and your part in the body of Christ will change in the context of whatever particular church of uh, God gathers you in at any given place and time. Uh, And so, this morning, uh, Nick Larkin and Jocelyn and Hannah, they have the gift of music in our church Uh, But in January, when there is no musicians and they're all gone and we really have nobody left, I have the gift of music in this church because I can string a couple of chords together and hold a basic tune. But that is my gift then, but not here today because of the people God has gathered together for the common good. But whenever and wherever and whoever God gathers together you are a valued part of God's church. And the Spirit has gifted you particularly for that gathered body of Christ. Never for your own glory or for your own satisfaction, as if you need to put yourself forward with your gift that everyone else must recognise, but always, as Paul says, for the common good. And I wonder if you're now starting to see How extraordinary it is that you are here this morning. How your peculiarities and your quirks and your foibles are actually a gift to us. How your very presence is a testimony to the activity of God's Holy Spirit. How this gathering of saints is a testimony to God's saving activity in the world. Because the Father saves people in order to gather them and he gathers people by saving them into his family as his precious children. Now, surely that has to transform the way that you observe and see the Spirit at work in the church. It's got to transform what you conclude about the work of the Holy Spirit here amongst us. Now, as you stare at the faces in the pew next to you, don't, don't stare too long, just out the corner of your eye. And as you sing bravely, maybe even slightly off-key, into the ears of the person in front of you, that's why I sit at the front, (laughs) as you confess out loud and in unison the strange words of ancient creeds and as you affirm together with fellows and strangers in prayer, Our Father, this is the Holy Spirit at work. we started off with two questions. How do you see the work of the Spirit in the Holy Universal Church? And what does the Holy Spirit do for the communion of saints? Well, I think it probably looks very unimpressive. There's no smoke machines and people kind of lit up fluorescent, kind of floating around the room. But no doubt, in even the oddness and out of placeness that this looks like in a world that lives according to the flesh, don't miss the little extraordinary things that the Spirit is doing. As often as we are gathered by the Father together, as we confess Jesus is Lord together, as we continue to pray our Father, your will be done together, as we confess our sins together, as we are led by the Spirit into repentance together, even as we together bear with one another in love, don't miss those little things. The work of the Spirit is true and alive and active amongst his saints. And this is how the Spirit is perfecting believers in Christ to be His church, the church of God. Uh, The Spirit both unifies and diversifies believers in Christ to genuinely be His family. Let's pray and give thanks and praise God for that amazing work. Our Father, we do thank You that you are doing extraordinary works by your Holy Spirit amongst us, that by your Holy Spirit we are able to declare and proclaim that Jesus is Lord and we are not, that by your Holy Spirit we are able to come to you with all the unfettered privilege access to pray our Father. Father, that you are doing a great work by your Holy Spirit in gathering your people, whoever they are, wherever they are and whenever they are, to genuinely be your family and your church, the body of Christ. And so, Father, we pray that we would be able to notice this small but extraordinary thing, how the Spirit is uniting us in Christ but has also gifted each one of us in diverse and particular ways, so that we might proclaim your glory to the world around us, to all the nations, and even to the powers in the heavenly realms. And so, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.